0: This is Coda Radio, episode 154 for May 22nd, 2015. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business, software development, and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, sometimes found even in New York. Why, yes, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Me
1: so Spreading the News. <laughs> <laughs> We saw here today. It gets
0: me every, you know, every time. I think this is the week. It's not going to happen. All right, all right. This is the week he's going to give up on it because everybody no. loves it. So, but no, you know, I kind of, in a way, am impressed. I really am kind of impressed. I, I, you, you managed to show, you shock me every single time, Mr. Dominic. And you know, you know, we had a pre-show conversation. I didn't feel any jarger in there at all.
1: No. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, he's, he's everywhere. Man, that's what you are
0: you a Star Trek fan at all? Because
1: uh, I am, but I don't have anything quite as trolly from
0: that. No, see, the thing is, <clears throat> I was reading today that they're kind of reworking Star Trek 3 to like be totally not for Star Trek fans at all. A little words, it's going to be more Star wars Yeah, that's what they say. Well, Which Mr. I'm okay with. Mr. Dominic, uh, in full disclosure, because this is the most transparent uh, administration of the Coda Radio podcast in history of the Coda Radio podcast... We are actually recording this show on a Friday. Yeah, Mr. Dominic was at and, Yeah, and, and sorry if uh, you uh, didn't understand. Damn it,
1: it, I missed the Rebecca Black Friday opportunity. <laughs> Get the oh. hell out of here.
0: <laughs> and you know what oh. else? I'm going to also throw in a... I don't believe you. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to throw that in. How right did I here. miss that? <laughs> Listen, uh-huh. um, now audience, I love you. I love you a lot. But every episode, I do say jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Now, I know. I'm sorry. I also do say twitter.com slash Chris But here's what it was. And I, you know what? I, in a way, I, I'm kind of proud because we never miss a week. So it is weird. Mr. Dominic was at Microsoft Build 2015 New York tour, whatever they call it, when we would normally be recording Coda Radio this week. So we decided to move the show to a different bat time and bat day. Well, actually, it's the same bat time. It's a different bat day. So we're going to talk a little bit about Build 2015 coming up a little bit in the show. Um, Also, there's an interesting thread that gained some traction in our subreddit, but also uh, just online in general, about developers complaining about the memory usage of Chrome. And then Lifehacker responded with an analysis of why Chrome uses so much memory. And it's been going around and around. And It's kind of an interesting story. And both Mr. Dominic and I have some recent developments and thoughts in this area. So we're going to bounce around this topic in a little bit. And we also have to give a little bit of airtime. We're not going to go crazy, but we're going to give a little bit of airtime this week to the upcoming Google I.O. and iOS 9 WWDC hopes predictions. The reason, why we're going to, the reason why we decided to do this is there's been a couple of write-ups, both of which are over at ours, and they're both excessively good. They're, they're much, I mean, uh, like, uh, take a look at this just for the index. If you're watching the video version, the index of this R's write-up is massively impressive. And there's some big, big, big changes. Changes that would, in some ways, undo some of the things they launched last IO. So uh, Mike and I are going to discuss that a little bit. Plus, like I said, talk about build. And we've got feedback to get to towards the end of the show. Huge show today, Mike.
1: Huge Chock show. full of Gungan flavor. Do you know how,
0: Do you know how I prepared myself for it? And, you know, do I, I sound I sound pretty awake, right?
1: You had a Red Bull, didn't you?
0: Well, I have had, actually, yes. I have had a Red Bull, and I've also had a lot of green tea. I'm not going to lie. That is a thing. Um, so let me
1: take something super unhealthy <laughs> yeah. and something healthy and just see well, what happens. So, happen.
0: so uh, you know, I've been, um, I had a really strange line of thinking yesterday, yesterday night before I went to bed. And then... You know, when I say 4, you think 4 p.m., right? And I thought I am never really up at 4 a.m. I never really think about the the 4 o'clock number in the a.m. sense. I'm always thinking about it in the p.m. sense. But if you think about 4 p.m. to 8 p.m., or even say 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., that's You feel like you could get quite a lot of things done between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. or 4 p.m. and 8 p.m., right? Let's just go 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Man, I can get a lot done between 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. That's a lot of time to do stuff. So I was thinking, I haven't been sleeping very well this week. Like, specifically, by about 4 a.m., I'm pretty much awake anyway. So I set my Sleep as Android app that monitors how well I'm sleeping. And by the way, if you have problems sleeping or just want to find out what's going on, This is such a great way to kind of just give yourself a little data. Like, are you moving around? Are you snoring too much? Is there too much noise in your room? Too much light? What's going on? Is the temperature too hot? It'll tell you all this stuff. And if you have a watch, an Android Wear device, it'll work with that stuff too, man. And that is really nice. So I use sleep as Android to say, hey, I said, I told it if I'm moving around a little bit too much, anywhere in a half hour range around 4 a.m., just vibrate my watch a few times and see if I wake up. And if I wake up and I, I decided, I told myself, if I wake up and I'm feeling okay, then I'm just going to get up. So I woke up, I felt fine, and I got up, <clears throat> and I decided to go for a drive. And I've never done this before, but I decided to go for a drive. And I went out and looked at the uh, Oso mudslide. That uh, you know, it's been it's been about a year since the Oso mudslide here. I, I don't know if you're if you're not familiar with that. There was a major mudslide in our in our local town that. Uh, uh, a lot of people died, and it was a pretty big tragedy. But I had never been to the area where it happened at. So I decided to drive out there, and then I just kept on going and drove through a national park, came out through a small town, stopped at a diner about uh, by about 6 in the morning, had myself some breakfast, <laughs> and then came into the studio uh, and got a whole bunch of stuff fixed because we had a whole bunch of problems, a whole bunch of hardware issues in studio this week. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I am ready to go. I've been on a hike, well, kind of. I only got out and walked a little bit. I did mostly driving, but I went four wheeling, which was great. And I got the the audio and video issues resolved here in the studio, so I am ready to do a show with you today, Mister Dominic. I am, I, I, and I think I know somebody famous. Did I tell you about this?
1: No. Who do you know?
0: I think you know him too. It's a charger. No well. <laughs> Besides Judge, Jar Jar, obviously, uh, no, it's a, it's a, he's a book author. Um, he's a podcaster. Uh, he runs a uh, successful online business. Um, he's well known in the uh, technical community, and a lot of people consider him one of the uh, forefront experts on the twenty-first uh, file system known as ZFS. Uh, Mister Alan Jude's book uh. on ZFS, FreeBSD Mastery ZFS, is out, and for the Kindle, it's nine ninety-nine. We're gonna have a link in the show notes. Uh, congratulations, Alan. He didn't yes, ask no, us he- to plug this. I'm just plugging it for him because I think it's we – we, if, you, if, if you're a TechSnap viewer and you, you, know, you want to quote something that Alan has said, you can say, don't worry, I'm quoting the guy that wrote the book on ZFS. But, but out of respect to Alan, say ZFS. He calls it it's, ZFS. Okay.
1: Yeah. Also, if you're a Mac user, just buy the book. I mean, you've got to wait for the print edition, but just start mailing it to the Apple developers – because let's be honest, HFS Plus is a contest. You CFS think they'll get the contest. hint? Yeah, get the hint? Just, just keep sending it. Just keep. And, and let's be honest, Alan wouldn't mind it, right? If if all you know, how many Mac users do you think we have here? A couple hundred listening. A, yeah,
0: I think we've scared most of them away except the masochists.
1: Oh, oh well, there's got to be at least a hundred masochists. Yeah. So if a hundred of them every week buy one copy of the book and mail it to Tim Cook, you think you get every the hint?
0: week? You think you get the hint?
1: And Alan would make a ton of money. So. What's
0: wrong with that? Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's a great idea. It might help Mac users everywhere. Uh, so um, speaking of things that maybe we could start a campaign to fix, I'm, I am in a tough spot with Google Chrome because I, I basically can't get off the Chrome sauce, man. I cannot get off the Chrome sauce at all. But it is a serious resource hug, and uh, there have been a lot of people complaining about it recently. But uh, the Next Web has a write-up about why I am breaking up with Google Chrome Uh, And it starts with when Chrome debuted for the first time in 2008, it was the fastest browser on the block. It was light. Mm. It was nimble. It was extensible and easy to use compared to Firefox, which had some slow and cumbersome issues. But in the past few years, I've stuck with it even as it became a memory hog, unstable, and a major drain on battery life. I was in denial, but now I have to admit it. The stable, snappy Chrome is a distant memory. As it grows in popularity, it steadily got worse. And, uh, of course, here is an embedded version of the uh, Google Trends. Uh, So it it comes up in a lot of ways. You know, crashing tabs, high CPU usage, memory leaks, general instability, system lockups. And it's not really seemed to get better. And I think it's maybe – maybe it's really bad on the Mac. I think it might be worse on the Mac than anywhere else. But I I, I don't know for sure because I don't have a lot of experience there. But that seems to be my general sense.
1: Chrome is a uh – one, Chrome is almost always going to be your top battery hog. Yeah. Uh, if, yeah. You, if you look, if you're running a Mac, if you look at that little indicator, I can, yeah. I'll look right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm on AC power, but apps using significant energy, Google Chrome, always. Right.
0: Yeah, it's not just that, though. I mean, instability, I, I seem to see more complaints from Mac users. Yeah. Um, I I don't really have any stability issues with Chrome under Linux because I run it pretty much 24-7 on this Bonobo, and it doesn't ever really seem to crash on me. But uh, I have seen it crash uh, when I used it on a Mac, and I don't use it very often. And it still managed to lock up on me. So, But what I I wanted to kind of get at, though, is we are at a really weird point where we've not really Internet explored ourselves, thankfully. But we have sort of developed um, a lot of apps based around Chrome. And Chrome just keeps getting bigger and bigger. I can't seem to get off the Chrome sauce. But this is a a bit of an issue. And I wonder, Mr. Dominic, from your perspective, have you looked at building Chrome apps? And are you concerned about sort of requiring this huge runtime? Oh, yeah?
1: yeah, I actually have. And, okay, uh, tell me about it. You know, it's not an awful experience. It's basically a web app. Um, the Chrome developer panel was not very... Whoa, okay. apparently our, local, our local biker gang doesn't agree. Wow. Um, yeah, the Chrome developer panel was not great, but iTunes Connects also sucks. So, um, So basically what it is is you have your HTML, you have your JavaScript, you have your CSS, and then you have this little manifest file, right? And this little manifest file is extremely picky. It's basically a JSON file. Okay. And and that's it. Like, that's where the app side of your app comes in. If you're not... Uh Now, to be fair, there are Chrome-specific APIs, right? There's a Chrome-packaged app APIs, which we didn't use, or we used very limitedly, um, because we had a reason to make this one run in browsers in general, but also... The whole point of the Chrome app was literally to get an icon on someone's dock. Um, it is not a terrible experience, right? It's basically web development. The problem is, of course, once you start getting into like, specific APIs, things get a little...
0: Hmm. Can I hold you right there for a second? Yeah. Well, think about that thought. Uh, I didn't really realize this, but that is truly the major value of making a Chrome app and not just a web page is when you make a Chrome app, Google gives you real estate on the user's computer. They give you real estate either in their start menu or their dock or in Linux, you yeah, know, your launcher. for sure. And uh, so, for example, like on my machine here, if I type Plex, that's a Chrome app that shows up in my launcher. I can add that to my dock. And if I run it, it will launch as a separate application, I think. It seems to. Uh, They're supposed yeah, to is. launch in a, spe- in a yeah. separate
1: process.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, that is the value, isn't it? Really, though, getting that icon on the user's computer,
1: right? So it, it's like you know GitHub. Well, it's not like GitHub Electron, but it's the idea of using web technologies but to build desktop, a. Yeah,
0: I, I just th- I, I hadn't really desktop. I hadn't really made the connection that maybe one of the reasons why Google creates those shortcuts when you install a Chrome app is a, a, an incentive for developers. I hadn't really. I just I guess I was being a little naive about that.
1: Yeah, I think it. Uh, I. Th- I think it's. Hmm. I think it's definitely a factor. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's the whole whole thing.
0: So now, what was your experience? Uh, was this basically, except for their crappy control panel, was this something you would do again?
1: Uh, no, because the sales numbers for the client weren't good.
0: Oh, they tried to make and, money.
1: And they tried to make money. Yeah, and, and and that's where I think the whole thing falls apart. But.
0: Well, wouldn't that be interesting? Let's talk about that when we get to the Google I/O point part because I I think there's some rumors that they're going to be reworking it once again, including maybe even a new payment system.
1: I heard that. I heard that. Yeah. I don't know how how real, but yeah,
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, I I I leave it at this. Um, so essentially, my take is if it's a low resources machine, I use either a really minimal browser like um, maybe Epiphany or Web, depending on you know your terminology. Um, or Firefox is, is you know with no extensions, and then I and then I can kind of build on top of that if I need. And then if I have a machine with eight gigs of more RAM, I just go Chrome, and I just you know first of all, I think sometimes we forget that it's not necessarily bad to use your memory, as long as you're not paging out a whole bunch of stuff. You're wasting your RAM if you're not using it, right? So let Chrome have at it. I mean, it's really one of my primary applications. It probably my top. It's probably my top three. The, of applications I require to use a computer. And definitely when yeah. I set up a computer, it's maybe now the first application I install simply because that also brings with it LastPass and a whole bunch of other stuff that I need. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I mean, I use Chrome every day. Every time I pave a machine, it's quite literally one of the first installs. I, I,
0: I know, I, I agree. It's not acceptable. It, it, Imecon's right. mocking me for saying that I, I require, I just kind of, my rule is eight gigs before I use Chrome. I agree. But then again, what machine today doesn't ship with at least sixteen? Right? Is there anything? I'd probably, but yeah, I guess so.
1: But, uh, I don't know. I mean, lots. You could buy a lot. I mean, the yeah. machine I'm on does not have sixteen gigs. Really? Okay. 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 Yeah. Well,
0: there you go. I mean, eight is not bad, right? And yeah, Chromebooks. <laughs> Ironically, Chromebooks. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. Well, come on though. Those are special built, right? I, I mean, I'm being excessive too. I mean, what's Chrome taking up? Two gigs on your system, right? I mean, not. It's not uh, crazy. Mm-hmm. So I just have – I like – the reason why I, I don't dedicate all 8 gigs to Chrome, that'd be, that would be crazy. I'm thinking like you know you got to have – I have other applications and operating system. But if I'm going to use Chrome when I want to be able to do other things on that machine, it seems like I should at least start with 8. I don't dedicate all 8 to Chrome.
1: I mean, what are you doing in Chrome that's taking that much memory? Well,
0: dude, really, what it is is I have a bunch of kick-ass extensions that I I really do need. Like, right. I, so
1: so your extensions are leaky, though, right? Well, so and, look at
0: this. Like, I don't you, I don't know if you have the video feed at all, but like, I have. I don't know if I can get you an account, but I have. I mean, I have a s ton of Chrome processes. I don't, it doesn't count them for me, but it is when I look at it, and it's it's. It's 171 megabytes, 300 megabytes, 95 megabytes, 80 megabytes, 107 megabytes, 92, 85, 93, 34, 19, 19, 328, 29, 30, 91, 44, 34, 30, 29, 35, 31, 34, 35, 30, uh, 36, 36, 46, 241, or 214, sorry, 286, 20, 230, and I skipped a couple because you get the point. Uh, I mean, that's a ton of memory. <laughs> that's that, that's That's a lot of memory.
1: I mean, I have a bunch open, too, but... Not, oh, actually, wait a minute.
0: So my system is running right now at 4.7 gigabytes of RAM usage, and I would bet a fair portion of that is Chrome. Probably not all of it, but I bet you know. And the thing is, uh, is I I kind of need like the the thing is though, Mister Dominic is I would probably run all of these as separate applications if they weren't Chrome extensions. Like I would have a LastPass program running. Okay, I would,
1: well, I, let, let, let's just backpedal. Um,
0: if anybody wants up. to paste a, a handy command that I could run to uh, count how much uh, Chrome, how many Chromium processes I have running, how much memory it uses, I'll run it. Just don't wipe my system. <laughs> it shouldn't need sudo. If it needs yeah. sudo, I'm not so, running it.
1: So. so. Applications can be leaky on Chrome, right? They yeah. can be poorly developed. So can extensions. So you might be on the fringe of this because you're running a ton of extension that's a ton of Chrome apps, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I keep a number of tabs open, not as many as some people, but yes, Chrome crashes on me, but it usually crashes. Honestly, the thing that kills Chrome the hardest for me is multiple Google accounts. For some reason, if I have like two windows with multiple tabs open and I have to switch to a Google account for, you know, many of the obvious legitimate reasons that you would have to, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Logging into a customer's Android portal, for instance. The other tabs throw up immediately, right? Because now it's not my Google account.
0: Yeah, I know. I hate that so much.
1: So, and, and that's where I get a lot of my Chrome, you know, this application has quit kind of stuff. Because I think they they just don't handle the exception or whatever is happening, it just vomits, um,
0: <laughs> and you just think and, and go, "This is 2015.
1: Why is this happening?" Yeah, well, it's I, happening, right? Because Chrome's trying to be a platform, yep. and it's trying to be like you're lo- you're not logged into the Android Developer Console, you're logged into Google, right? This- that, that, that's that's what they're
0: saying. Is this the long term problem with Chrome? Is that you're always going to be tugged around by the nose by the strategy tax because it is in Google's best interest to make Chrome a platform, and and therefore they're going to do this kind of stuff. Now, I'm not trying to get all up on them for doing that. That's a legitimate approach. Let them have at it. But you can look at I I don't know if you've ever looked at like there's web browsers under Linux like the there's GNOME Web that's just very simple. It's almost like Safari simplicity. But, you know, it's just a really good, simple, very, very fast, very lightweight, in compared to Chrome, web browser. And it's just when you use it, you realize that is their focus. Their focus is like make it look nice when it scrolls. Make the fonts right. look render really well. Make the page look good. Make it fast. Use low, low memory. It's not enable a runtime environment, you know, uh, deploy icons on desktops, enable remote desktoping kind of uh, platform. It is just a web browser. And in some ways... It's kind of refreshing, but i don't but I don't find it to be functional enough for me, so I need something sort of like Firefox that allows me to extend it, but even Firefox has strategy taxes so it it is a really kind of crappy situation because we're so dependent on these things, and Chrome is one of the ones we're most dependent on, but what you just said to me is miserable
1: mm. yeah, I mean. I, I guess I don't see a good alternative. I mean, there's Safari, right? There's Firefox, which I find a little too slow.
0: And old, um, antiquated. I mean, they have so much they need to – I mean, some, some of this memory usage goes to the process isolation, and it really is really nice. Uh, I, I can still have a tab take out too much of Firefox. I mean, I love Firefox. Come on, I don't want to get into this, but
1: yeah. – Right, like a bad YouTube tab can take out Firefox. Yes. It can, can take you out, Yeah. yeah. The thing that scares me, or maybe not scares me, but the the thing that I kind of worry about. Um I don't think Google considers Chrome a browser. I'm pretty sure they consider it a platform mm. or or, ba- or verging on an OS, right?
0: Yeah, man. Well they have made it an OS, haven't they?
1: Right. And and, and
0: that's
1: <laughs> you know, that that's a little intense. Well, you know, Google's a
0: it's ambitious. It shows you what is the difference between having a platform like Chrome and having a platform like Microsoft windows? What's the difference there? If you can achieve lock in right. and you can achieve market dominance.
1: Right. I, maybe it's just that they've had some, uh, you know, a little couple, I mean the account management stuff, the, the Mac OS 10, there was a big Mac OS 10 issue about two months back to Chrome, um, where it was just crashing like all the time on people. I think, think a lot of that isn't the browsing functionality killing you it's the overall overarching you know this is the Chrome platform this is your well, you know, your chrome a, app it's, store it's your, such a yeah.
0: massively ambitious cross platform project too where and on each platform they're like custom writing the window borders and all of the theming there like it's a really massive effort. So there is definitely that aspect to it. Kind of, that's that kind of a penalty you pay for. It. It's kind of impressive what they pull off, that, considering all of that, really. Um, and, you know, and to their credit, they just uh, rolled out high DPI support under Linux, and it is. Oh, man. Like, it's really something, man. You know, like, I, I mean, When you first see a retina screen, and you bring up a page that's retina ready, and, or whatever you call it on the Mac, and you know, just looked amazing, and you went, oh, wow, okay, I kind of get it. And it's not just the web page, either. It's like the menus... And ever the URL, the URL bar, everything looks so crisp and like like it's like it's on like it's painted yeah. on the screen. It looks so good now. And I'm like, wow, this is like a, a very high-end experience I am having on the Linux desktop right now. My whole GNOME 3 desktop is high DPI. All of the menu, everything's high DPI now. Chrome was my biggest holdout. And I was what I was doing was I was just zooming every web page up to two hundred percent and I had teeny tiny menus. And now everything looks amazing. Like so, in in one regard, like I feel like I keep and like all these things keep reaffirming why I use Chrome. Like it is still has all the best stuff for me. It has the best high DPI support under Linux. Now it's like I just all these things constantly reaffirm why I – Netflix support is is kind of nice when you have kids. You know, here watch it on the laptop for thirty seconds while I go pee. You know, for God's sakes, like that is a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, You can't do that under Firefox under Linux right now. So. Like, I'm not switching, but at the same time, I'm like, I feel like this is – it's not quite like Windows, but there's so many parallels now between Google and Microsoft of the late 90s, early 2000s that are are melting my brain, and the reason why the public doesn't see it. This is Chris getting all conspiracy, but you know what? Look it up if you think I'm making it up. The reason why the people don't make the, the the parallels is because Eric Schmidt's primary job is to interface with Washington to prevent the smackdown. Go Google. Go Google it right now. There was a case where the FTC recommended going after Google for monopoly practices, and they shut it down internally. Google has one of the largest lobby fleets In all of the United States, they don't just have one of the largest lobbies in D.C. They have some of the largest lobbies in every single state in the United States because they have so many things that they care about, like privacy and the Google Maps cars and the self-driving cars legislation that they have built up one of the largest legislative fleets or I'm sorry, lobbying fleets out there to influence legislation and politicians. So that way, things like the Microsoft case don't happen to them. Just because they are tweaking the dials doesn't mean they're not doing some of the same things. And it is influencing public perception, but they are in so many ways running parallels with Microsoft of old and really in some ways Chrome is sort of their new Windows.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean all of that aside, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not you know, that argument takes you down the the Google conspiracy path, right? Or the maybe not conspiracy, but Wow, the,
0: look at Micro89 with the quick links there. Backing me up with the facts. Like
1: the problem <laughs> is if you, you know, you can't, or you can, but you shouldn't, right? You shouldn't say, I'm worried about Google's activities, but of course I use Gmail instead of, you know... Right. Not, not to be a Microsoft fan, but Office 365 when you know that you're paying them for the service. Right, right. right. And they have a privacy policy that basically the deal is... Unless we get a subpoena or a government request, which is basically standard, right? Your data is your data. If you're a paid customer, where Google's like, "Yeah, we know you pay us for this," but meh, <laughs> you know.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I don't mean one to one. It's Windows and Chrome uh, are the same thing, but in no, so no, many but I'm ways, just saying it's,
1: like... it's funny. Like, right? The people, a lot of people, like, especially no offense, right? But A lot of, especially Linux people, get on the soapbox about privacy. And then you say, okay, well you can totally you know use this alternative. Oh, but yeah, I'm gonna stick with Gmail or
0: mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. gonna yeah. stick oh, with yeah. Chrome. Or, you know, stay right. logged in to my Really, just staying logged into your Google accounts when you browse around the web is probably not a great idea.
1: Because that's what it's all about, right? This 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 isn't about yes, I'm sure there have been cases where someone's had to lobby because a self-driving car or whatever, something happened or whatever dumb issue some dmv department had with it right the the real issue is hey we are making a ton of money passively off people we on their personal data things they probably don't think we know about them (laughs) so you know and you can think of anything that maybe you want to think about there right
0: Mm, my tail What? what what what
1: what The fact that I am, in fact, Jar Jar Binks. I mean, you know. inappropriate? Me, so very concerned. Um, (laughs) It it could be... You're you're not wrong to be concerned, but it's a little disingenuous to say... It's like the people who say, you know, Walmart's destroying the country. Walmart's destroyed all these jobs, which it did, right? Destroyed all these small businesses, which it did. I need to go buy something. Oh, I'm going to go to Walmart. It's cheaper. Well...
0: Yeah, but what do you do when Walmart's the only store in your town?
1: Right, but Google Chrome is not the only game in town right now. It just happens to be, I would say, probably the objectively best one in terms of performance. I think I would
0: argue it is in terms of... So, like there's not like a lot of great ext- one-to-one extension rate uh comparisons. Like and some of it's small things, but like the big ones that jump out to me, uh like the template extension is a really, really important one. There's similarity, there's similar ones for Firefox, but they're just not the same. Or a lot of Google stuff, the way Google Voice or Google Hangouts integrate in with Chrome or like
1: or, just you some- say, you're not really looking for a web browser, right? The fact that you care about extensions or what I would argue are just really just lightweight applications, right? Means you're not, your primary concern is not private. Mm,
0: I'll tell you what my primary concern is. I my primary concern is, and this is why it works, is I have to have the same stuff on every computer I work at. Yes. yes. And if I had a really easy way to do that, that was like, and let's just get crazy for a second. Let's just say I didn't use Chrome. Let's say I used GNOME Web, and I replaced all these extensions with... Um, like some sort of crazy auto-key scripts or uh, standalone applications or whatever, however I would generate Markdown from websites, and maybe I would download the website and run it through a Python script or whatever to replace all of the functionality I use in Chrome. Let's say I could do it all with native tools on the Linux desktop, and then I just use GNOME Web for my web browser. Uh, that See, the thing is, is, that would only work for me if, if I could then tie it like into some sort of like synced Git back end where I synced that same exact desktop down to all of my desktops all the time. And like maybe they were all the same machine and same hardware, so I didn't have any weird config issues like, like a something wrong with a you know, huh. video accelerated setting or, or something. Pulse yeah. audio driver or yeah. you know, what my default audio card is or or the screen resolution for whatever you know, just all these little things that could be different from machine to machine, whatever they would be. It seems like you'd have to eliminate all of those
1: differences. So, so what you're saying, though, is that you are okay with trading privacy for convenience, which well, is what I, fine. What
0: I generally do is, no, I'm just very conscient. I, I, I remain conscientious of what services I use for what types of purposes. But I don't expect most people to do that. So I have other services that are sort of more off-grid that I would use for something more private. Now, I don't really have anything I have to worry about too much, so it's not a huge concern. But I maintain those methodologies that way if I ever do need them, they're available to me.
1: So, so let's just bring it back to developers for, for a second, right? Here, here's a reason Chrome as a platform is really scary. Google really doesn't believe in charging you for things, right? They, they'll do it, but it's kind of obvious that they don't care. Um, even their corporate stuff, they, they really don't care. You're not dealing with – and it's very obvious if you've ever done a Chrome app, if you've ever uploaded it there. Even Android apps, right? They're not really encouraging that kind of behavior. I
0: would be careful where you go here because here's why I say this. Okay. They don't care until it's how they make money. Like, let's just like – let's be crazy and say Chrome like became the dominant way people – this is not right. going to happen. This is, let's say Google I.O. They announced something that makes it so amazing that everybody just says, OK, I'm, I'm delivering apps through Chrome now. Uh, If they did that and they really made a huge success, I bet they would become the worst. It would be like when Apple gets in power and Apple becomes massive dictators. When Google – I bet they would lock it all down. I I bet it would be – but until then, while they're making 90 percent of their money off ads, yeah, they don't really care.
1: But the problem is it's it's not just the ads, right? It's the data even when you don't see an ad. Right. And – Because
0: they know long-term that's how they're making money, man. That's the long play.
1: Realistically, you're not going to get people to pay for Chrome apps. Um, at a rate that will eclipse the, uh, the data value whether that be direct advertising or data no kidding. Yeah. Because Remember, when they have that data, everybody thinks ads they have that data, period they could, I don't know, sell it to companies, right?
0: Or just use it to, I mean, that's how they generate Google Now stuff, and it's right. making it's, them, just making Google more valuable keeps you there. Being able to, to use your yep. data to make their service more useful is valuable for them, just for that
1: Right. I mean, it's...
0: You know, it was weird the first time I opened up Google Now, and I had a card in there saying my Discover card was b- due. And I think it even had the dollar amount, perhaps. How much would I owed. And I remember yeah, thinking...
1: It, it knew your credit card balance. It knew... Yeah. Yeah, it's a little creepy. I mean, I, I'm not suggesting and, 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 that we and, should you all know, pay for Chrome.
0: And then here's yeah. the thing, though. I never... When, when I set up that credit card, and I set it to use my Gmail account... Well, that was um, five, six, seven years ago. There was no such yep. thing as Google Now. I never knew that Google would be reading that and, and registering what my balance was and generating reminders for me. It's, yep. it's interestingly useful. It doesn't fit in with my workflow because I'm an adult and I've already figured out how to pay my bills before Google Now invented that. But I, I kind of wonder, like, when they turn on new services, it would be interesting if they said, Hey, now we're going to start using your Gmail for this. Would you like that? Because I bet a lot of people would have said no.
1: Right, which is why they don't do it that way.
0: So they keep changing the contract on me a little bit, or they keep moving the goalposts a little bit, and every time they do it, I kind of give, right? That's the danger.
1: Well, and that's the thing, right? And, and I think we should get off the yeah, topic. Right. Okay, yeah. It, yeah, but it, the bottom line is if you're unwilling to pay for it, well, however you define it. If you define it narrowly as a web browser, I mean, I don't mean by the web browser, but your email service, your whatever, right? You're You're probably making a deal you don't understand, which is fine. fine. Like, go ahead. I'd like to get – so,
0: audience, what do you do? What do you do in this situation? Chrome seems to be, for a lot of us, the best option, but obviously there's some issues. Yes, I know Firefox. We've talked about this a lot. What do you do in it when you see something that's kind of becoming the new dominant player and you realize once they get there, we might have an issue? Like, you know, you could argue that could be a problem if Amazon were to start to replace a lot of brick-and-mortar stores like they've done. Uh, and they became the only player and they started raising their prices. Then what happens? Yeah. Like, what, ha- what do you do when you're a developer and you're in this position? So go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, choose the Coder Radio program. And uh, send in your thoughts. We'll read it in uh, next week's episode. Why don't we uh, let's pick things up and talk about our sponsor? This is this always mm. makes me happy to talk about Linux Academy. I love Linux Academy because it's such a perfect fit for our audience. They have a great, great set of resources for developers, people that are in DevOps, people that want to get into sys administration. And I love that it's a match for Jupyter Broadcasting. And so that's why I know it's a great match for you. It's a match because you have a core group of friends and enthusiasts who are really passionate about open source, about Linux, about all of the things that intersect in this space. And you have a group of them that are developers, a group of them that are educators, and they all came together as business people that came together and they created Linux Academy. And they didn't make Linux Academy to teach you how to edit After Effects documents or create something in Adobe Composer or how to use Adobe Bridge to manage your photos or how to fix your kitchen sink or unplug a toilet. They wanted to focus... On the quality content, the kind of, kind of content that our audience wants to focus on. The, the same kind of reason why you would tune into one of our shows, because you know exactly that we talk about these particular focused items. This is our area. This is our bag. This is what we, we love it, so we talk about it. That's why we started it. And that's, that's what you want behind your educators. It makes such a difference when you're learning something from people that come at it from a place of passion, and they're living it. They're in this area all the time and they bring in the educators too so you can have live stream events with them and ask questions in real time. They have scenario-based labs, which I think are really awesome because they'll put you in the middle of a task comment in everyday environment. You'll work in the advanced lab environments while completing these scenarios from beginning to end on live servers. So you'll really have a sense of how to do these things, which gives you the confidence you need to safely do it in production. And when you're feeling confident like that, you you drop that anxiety. You remember to do things like note your config files or document And do things like that, or back up and save. When you're a little more relaxed, you do a better job. Instructor help is always available, of course. And one of the things I think you might want to check out, they've recently added it. You can check out their Nuggets page. The Nugget is a single how-to that walks you through doing a specific task. It's not necessarily something that fits in a whole course. It could be like a video lesson that's somewhere between two and 60 minutes long. And just a specific task, you're going to be better at it. If it's something you do all the time, why not get better at it? And you'd be surprised. I I've, I've, I was a Linux administrator for many a years, but, and I went and took the Linux Plus course. <laughs> you know what? I could be doing this better. They have seven plus distributions you get to choose from. They'll automatically adjust the courseware to match those distributions. They also up uh, um, um they also will adjust the uh, virtual machines. So the virtual machine environment would. So if you chose CentOS uh, or let's say, you know let's be awesome. Let's say you chose Debian or Ubuntu, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to judge. Okay, you chose Red Hat Enterprise. Whatever. I don't care, man. You get seven plus distributions. That's how cool that is. You choose that. The virtual machines change. The documentation changes. It's so nice. I think that's really nice, too, if you need to switch between, this, between, between like a, like a Red Hat and a Debian environment. Uh, they have a whole bunch of great courses on AWS. They have a new Red Hat certified course that just went online. And, of course, they've introduced a whole new set of features like the Founders Club. If you've been going to Linux Academy for a while and listening to these spots and you're still a huge fan, of course, you might want to check out their founder, Founders Club. We can get access to some of the early content. I think that's really cool. A lot of really good content has been rolled out just in the last few weeks, too. Um, go to linuxacademy.com coders. That supports this show, but it also gets you our great discount. And you can get started on just trying something out. Get that discount. See what you think. And you'll stick around. You'll see it's the best content out there for this kind of stuff, and they're always making it better, always adding new stuff, and always improving. And they really follow the trends really well. You know, just like we were on Docker earlier here on the Coder Radio program, so was Linux Academy. They followed it right up, and as it matures, they've got the stuff for you. It's so much great stuff. com slash coders. So we started to slip into this conversation uh, just a few minutes ago. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what's coming up in a few weeks. you got wwdc two thousand and fifteen. Uh, which is uh, just around the corner. I can't remember the date, but um, we'll talk about it closer as it gets as it gets here. And then, of course, uh, Google I/O uh, 2015, which we believe we're going to see Android M, maybe a new Chromecast, um, uh, possibly a fingerprint API, possibly a new payment system, all kinds of things. So, Mr. Dominic, before we since we've kind of uh, reset here, before we get to the Android stuff, why don't we uh, take a breather and? talk about iOS 9. As a developer, are there certain things you're chomping at the bit to hope that somebody up on stage announces at WWDC? No, nope. Really?
1: Nope. because Here's the thing. All the things that I would talk about, you could pretty much go back to last year's show, and it would be the same things. Right? Access to Siri in some even minuscule way. Uh, widgets, which we didn't really get. Right? Uh, better at multitasking, which we Kind of, sort of split screen. Yeah, I don't. I'm not even thinking about split screen, but better inter-app communications. Siri
0: right? API, that kind of thing would have been. Siri nice. API,
1: it's, it's it's literally the same things. I mean, yeah, I'll give them. There were some half steps on the app communication stuff. Um, you know, and extensions are interesting, but they, in my opinion, don't go far enough.
0: So uh, I think what they really need to address, obviously, is some of the rough edges that people have been complaining about.
1: Well, that's the say other stuff. 8.3 has been ex- – in fact, yesterday, my whole phone froze doing nothing. The audio cuts out all the time it, ever since upgrading to 8.3. And it's not – you know, it's in all my audio apps. Sorry, Audible, Overcast, anything, uh, Google Play. It just locks up every once in a while.
0: Yeah, well, the S6 has been no peach either. It seems to have a memory yeah. leak that is causing... I have to reboot the phone every single day, and if I don't, my apps start crashing constantly. I cannot believe this is the state of things. In 2015, on the premier phones for Android and iOS platforms, it's so pathetic. So both of them need to get their crap together. I'm so sick yeah, of restarting my phone. Now, that's not yeah. really Google's yeah. fault. Well, some of it is, but it's mostly Samsung's fault. Uh and it's just uh, so i i here's what i'd like to see uh from uh from iOS uh, i'd like to still see them improve the app, inter-app communication i'd like to see them improve the keyboard still i still think they have such a crazy keyboard um but i'm a little more interested to talk about android and where i'd like yeah, to see I, that go
1: yeah i think i think android this year has probably more potential to be interesting and i hope i'm wrong so
0: uh, so android m probably going to be what android marshmallow android maru what would you call that yeah
1: i i think what be what, macaroons or marshmallows or something. Yeah,
0: here's what I'd like. Now this is maybe Chris getting crazy. This is probably Chris getting crazy. I'd like to see Google come out and be like, remember it was like two years ago? They didn't really do it so much last year, but two years ago, they were like just taking shots at Apple constantly. And it was it wasn't too, actually it was kind of a little low class, but in a way, it was like right on. They're getting competitive. Like we're starting to see a brawl here, and I was I was like, yeah. I would like to see them do that over, it's probably getting crazy, I'd like to see them do it over privacy. I'd like to see selectable app permissions. I'd like to be, easy, be easier to manage these apps. I'd like to understand why apps are running in the background and what they're doing more. I'd like to have a better sense of that. I feel like in iOS, I have I have a lot more control over what notifies me, what applications have access to my GPS and when. And, like, and I have several options, like they have GPS access all the time, or they only have GPS, GPS access when the app is running, or they never have GPS access. Like, that's great. I like that a lot. Like, I would like to see more stuff like that in Android, and I would like to see it very easy to get to. Like, I still find it to be rather, like, what is the best way to uninstall an app in Android? I guess what I do is I go into application management, I select my app and I uninstall it there, sometimes I search for it in the Play Store, like, there's a whole lot of options, and it's, and I feel, like, I feel like none of it's all just consolidated. None of it is, I go to this spot to manage this stuff, I go to this spot, to, it's all, all over the place. And I think that I would love to see a major overhaul for that from an end-user standpoint. Because I don't trust half the apps on my phone anymore. Because I hear so many horror stories out there... yeah, I know. You can long press an icon and you drag it up to the, to the trash can, but that doesn't, if you have it on the launcher, that doesn't necessarily uninstall yeah. it. You get, diff- you get a different action depending on which, a- on, on, on which screen you're doing that in. So if you're doing it like from the app panel, the drawer, then yeah, I believe that will uninstall it. But like, say if I do it from my launcher on my S6, that doesn't actually uninstall the app. It's still on my phone. So it's an inconsistent action when you drag it like that to the delete thing. That doesn't make any sense to me either. It's, it's, a, it's a UI mess. So I'd like to see them just bake that feature into Android because we don't need the OEMs trying to manage this anymore because you end up with, like, Smart Manager and all this crap to do this uh, when you don't need to. Uh, fingerprint API would be great. What a concept. And that's got to be a must, right? I, I, I'm, I think that's got to be a must. Um, yeah, There's rumors about replacing uh, Google Wallet, and they're going to call it Android Pay. So another change up there. I'm sure we'll yeah, see a lot I mean, of improvements to Hangouts, but I'm not sure what to expect. Yeah. From a, in a from so, a development standpoint, is there anything you'd like to see them address on stage?
1: Well, I'm I'm concerned because I I heard a rumor and and this was literally heard a rumor like talking to somebody that I, has been somewhat reliable in the past that maybe not this I/O but certainly potentially soon, Google may have language envy. What? And oh, really? Yeah, we. I, I, I you mean, wasn't, Go
0: isn't good enough or whatever?
1: Well, think about Android, right? And I've seen it pop up on the web a few times. You know, they, they've admitted that there is a Google team doing this, uh, Dart, right? Repurposing Dart to be Android. So literally kind of like the Swift of um, of Android. Hmm. I don't think that's a great idea. I mean, just, just taking it, not that Dart's a bad language. It looks interesting. I would almost rather them focus their efforts on new apis in Java right, or make the you know Android web experience better right the the uh, not the Chrome browser but the browser you get when you call a web view because a lot of folks are doing web based applications now right mm-hmm. um, you know that's kind of one of the issues I feel happened with apple they they spend a lot of time a lot of energy on Swift when if that energy was repurposed towards general quality. <laughs> Might have been better, but that, that might be harsh to say. I mean, I, I see the attraction in going towards one of these newer languages, right? I, yeah, I know people are saying Golang the chat. It's not going to be Golang, right? You don't think, huh? No. If it, if it's anything, it's going to be, if, I mean, unless they do some NDK, but it, it's going to be Dart. I, it scares me, right? Because does, doesn't that – if they do it, doesn't that seem like just keeping up with the Joneses yeah. in the worst possible way? Yeah, um, You know, Java is a pretty easy language.
0: I don't think the Android platform um, will, would move as quickly. They wouldn't be able to get them to, to jump like that. And so, yeah, you'd have this really awkward transition phase that would last well, a really long time.
1: Yeah, and I don't think Google would attempt to force you either. They would have to
0: support it, 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 like in previous versions, like through the Play updates, and it's just, I don't know, man. I just seems, that would be a huge risk for them. And it seems like making the ground even more unstable around Android development than it already is sometimes.
1: Well, I'm just thinking about, you know, how Swift has gone from developers, you know, that I know listening to podcasts, blogs, things like that. A lot of people, I'm not one of them, are very excited about it. A lot of people are very, very frustrated with it. And there's a big overlap between those two groups, right? Um, The tooling, you know, launching a new language isn't trivial. And if you have a platform that has thousands of developers, new APIs might be more valuable. Now, in the Apple case, I get it. Objective-C is old. It's antiquated, sometimes hard for maybe newbie developers to learn, and I mean that not in a jerk way. Um, so I, I get the attraction from their perspective, even though I still think it was the wrong move. But on the Android side, the language is Java. Like every college in the world teaches Java just yeah. about, right? Uh, I, I, think mean, that's one
0: the, I figured that was one of the reasons they chose it.
1: Right. I mean I get like the Apple argument, oh, we want to be more accessible to you know developers who don't need to learn all this history. Okay. But don't do it. Right, I would much rather you know more APIs and Google Play services to do more interesting things. Yeah, maybe give me a way to abstract away some of the crazy you know Samsung specific stuff. Mm. Give me a way to abstract away the weird Samsung color stuff that always pops up.
0: Huh.
1: Um, give and like override it is what I'm saying.
0: Speaking of that, did you see the rumor that one of the things they're going to, to announce is the, the, a theme engine support? Because uh, right now. There is a working Android yes. theme engine that built by Sony. It ships on my yes. S6, and I have a theme that is called like sci-fi. Like I, I changed my Android theme, um, and uh, HTC is also shipping it. So Sony, um, Samsung, and yep. HTC are all shipping this theme engine right now. They've open-sourced it so really it's just a it's a it's a matter of does Google want to allow people to change the u i or not Do you think they're going to announce support for this theme engine at Google io I mean if I, they embrace it, then they can some maybe control it if they let it continue, the OEMs could go hog wild with it
1: i, I can't imagine why they would I know I I they just
0: they just got material it, out the door right yeah but here's it, the thing
1: it seems like encouraging. Some of the worst, carrier. but then yeah. again,
0: you could lock it down, and you could also you could also right. rein it in over time. I mean, I think this is Google's got Google has to be a little more strategic on how they work with these guys. They got to be a little giving, and but then at the same time taketh. So uh, I think because it's now a feature. Yeah. If you go with the Google version of Android, you know you get certified by Google. You get not only do you get all the Play apps yeah. and the Play API, but now you get this theme engine. It's another perk for going official Google.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, and the apps don't. Was, it
0: doesn't change the look of the apps. The apps. No,
1: it doesn't. And that's what I was just going to get at. My understanding of these theme engines is is very limited, mainly because I, I I don't think they're very important <laughs> yeah. for developers. Yeah. Um. It, it. Yeah. I mean, if you want a Stargate, love my Stargate. By the way, we're all going <laughs> to die because we're all in SG6. Um. Not one six it dies every time. Great, but that doesn't really affect day to day. One one thing though, right? you know if apple doesn't give some sort of access to siri and i know this is my hobby horse it's been my hobby horse for a year if google steps up to the plate and opens up google now even a little that would be amazing because you would have a situation just thinking you know putting on my little i have my little green android guy on my desk here you would literally have experiences that would be not possible or at the very least easier to develop and cheaper to develop on android iOS, And that's just a huge, huge advantage for developer market share. Hmm. Um, And even getting the, you know, Android still, they've done better this last year right from the last I.O., but they're still kind of not getting the, you know, you think of an app that's cool that your friend tells you about. You can be certain it's on I.O.S. and maybe on Android. I'd like to see it go the other way.
0: There is uh, there is rumors of a Google Now API just That's like what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, like they'll you'll be able to tie in third-party cards. And, you know, they've been working with partners on that like Spotify and others. So I mean again,
1: I, and, and, but don't let it be just like Passbook, right? Let's let's do something yeah. more interesting yeah. than yeah. you know, you know, honestly, I I have Passbook on my phone. I'm afraid to use it cuz I I don't trust that it'll work, but I I don't know, Chris. I I'd, I'd really like to see more APIs from both platforms because I think there's one, you know, the Apple Watch. I think it's safe to say is a disappointment from a development perspective right now, right? Which is uh, fair. Uh, it's a 1.0 product. Yeah, it's, it's, cool. it's not cool. right. I'm so happy I saved 400. dollars <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm seeing some pretty pretty sweet looking Android watches coming out, and you know, Google doesn't have that same. And more and more they do, but they don't have that same "we only release updates once a year" kind of deal. Um, I'd like to see some sort of um, Google Play services for Android Wear. And again,
0: yeah, man, that be sweet. I know
1: I, I keep leaning on the term Google Play services. I understand that there's different APIs, but what I mean by that is something that Google controls and updates and isn't tied to my uh, to my manufacturer or my carrier.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm a little. I, I so I've already been burned. Uh, a little right. bit by Android Wear. I I mean I'm not all that really burned, but it's it's a mild irritation. I have the LG Watch R. I picked it up for a outrageously good price on Amazon and um it is already behind on updates. It it doesn't there's already an Android wear update out that I don't have for this. And there was when I bought the watch, there was a lot of speculation that they would be turning on the Wi Fi chip via the update and with the latest Android update and that actually turned out to be not true. My watch is one of the ones that isn't getting the Wi-Fi update. It's still not clear if there's a Wi-Fi chip in there or not, but it's not getting the Wi-Fi update. In fact, it hasn't gotten any update at all yet, and other devices are. Uh, so it's – right. but yet this device still remains the one with the best uh, sensors and battery life for sleep monitoring and it has a round display that doesn't have the flat tire and you know it has the quad process. Like, so it has like all these yeah. other advantages. So like from – in one sense, it's like the, it's one of the great watches to get right now. But in another sense, it's not getting the updates like you'd like – even though the yeah. LG Urbane just came out and, ha- and just, got the, just got the update and got Wi-Fi. And so it's I, – I feel like it's the, it's the Android phone thing all over again with Wear and it's kind of frustrating.
1: And those problems can be more than an inconvenience, too. I had a a couple months ago a very crushing experience where, you know, one version, I think it's Android 4.3 point something or 4.4 point something, it's literally down to the small, the third point, has a bug in the uh, in-app web view. So if you're writing a native app but you need to have a user flow that goes through the web where you can't correctly respond or you can't correctly upload images is what it is. So like a file open dialog. So spent this time writing this whole thing, and then it turns out on this one very specific version of Android, it will, doesn't work, and there's a Google users group for developers where they clearly state it will never work because they're not updating it. Now, if that was a Google Play services thing, theoretically, everybody could just be pushed up to the new version, and that problem would go away, mm-hmm. right? Because on on 4.44 and Honeycomb, uh, not Honeycomb, rather, um, Lollipop, no issue whatsoever. Hmm. And it's just those kind of things where you have certain users getting stranded, can really cause issues in a project, or if you're developing your own app. Oh yeah. And I I don't, you know, on the one hand, I I understand why they can't like just pull an apple and take it over, but if they could break out some of these APIs, some of these services more into the Google yeah. Play services model, yeah, and they could add some of the openness on the Google Now APIs. I really think that you know, not not to sound like a, a an Ubuntu desktop guy, yeah. but I think that you know the big gaps we hear about in mid 2015, or or rather late 2015, early 2016 could be Android apps, right?
0: Can I give you right my on, la- my last one, go and then, ahead. And my oh, last yeah. one for Google I O, and I feel like I feel like this one's your iOS one, where it's essentially the same stuff I had last year. And this is why I think they've got to do the theme engine. This is why I think exactly what you just said is a critical. They've got to get more of this stuff out into the Play APIs, away from the manufacturers, away from the OEMs. Google has still failed to solve this update problem. Lollipop is a joke in terms of adoption, right? Oh,
1: yeah, no one, Yeah, what is it? It's, it's like point. It's not even 1%.
0: Yeah. I and what did you say earlier? Yeah, you look it up. You said earlier, you said when you go say this new app is out, you're almost guaranteed it's on iOS. There is a pretty good chance it's on Android, but it might also sometimes be delayed. I mean, look at the, look at the buzz that Meerkat and um, per- Periscope got uh, without ever even having an Android app. Or look at look at Instagram. Instagram uh, became a billion dollar company. but well, they had an Android app by then, but I mean, they got huge without an Android app. They didn't need an Android app. Why aren't people writing Android apps? Because the Android platform just, I, I believe, doesn't move fast enough. Google comes out with a lot of shiny stuff and, you know, there's, the newer phones are pretty compelling devices. I think if, if there were more people running Lollipop and running, had more of the latest features and using Google Now and taking advantage of all these things, users would give a crap when Google Now APIs come out. People would give a crap. And they would ask for these things and they would drive user demand and developers would respond by creating those things. But yeah. because most people will never see the Google Now API improvements on their Android device, nobody gives a crap. Google now, for three years now I have been saying it every for every i/O they got to solve this update problem and they had like they had these programs they've rolled out, they've made agreements with Samsung, and still they have failed. I have an S6 and it ain't running 5.1. It's running five point oh four or some five oh one crap. It's it's not even on the latest version of Android, and it is when I bought it, it was out of date. It's just I cannot yeah, believe in two thousand and fifteen I can buy a high end phone yeah. and it is not shipping with the latest version of the operating Production system. OS. What kind yeah. of message is that to developers?
1: And all great points, not going to happen, right? That's why my suggestion, my my wish, is that they you know if the major APIs, if the yeah, major exactly. functionality that yeah. I needed to rely on was in all in Google Play services, which I know there's a lock-in, I know there's scary things about that, and believe me, I understand why it's bad. But if that was all dealt with there, to some – to a point, right, we could abstract away what version the user's on. It. Yeah,
0: to a point. There are some things like you know There's vulnerable web case, views and right. things like that that don't go away.
1: But here's the thing. If the user's web view has that SSH vulnerability, which is I think what you're referring one, to yeah, – yeah. Uh, there's nothing you can do about it as as an app developer anyway. Yeah, I know. Right? I,
0: I, I I think so, you're right, and I, that's what you. That's why I say everything you've said is very critical to that to that piece. Yeah. And that's why I think they've got to do. They got to go the next step forward and do the same thing on like you're saying with wear. Yeah. But also, I think they're going to they'll have to do something more with with the theming support. They're going to have to do more with uh, all like they got to make Google all the Google Voice stuff more accessible to more people. That needs to get to be better too. Like there's so much work for them to do there, and it still seems like there's. St- like, I guess what I feel like is Google does all this great stuff up, up like five or f- six layers up where we could see it, and you know, at a, at a technical level, like the people that listen to our show, they can see it and they go, "Man, that is some great, intelligent, beautiful work." And then, like, but then when it actually, when it actually, when the rubber meets the road, nobody ever gets their hands on that stuff for a long, long time, except for people like for like people like our audience to go out and either buy the buy a new device or custom ROM it up, and that's such right. a small percentage and i uh so i guess what i want what i guess i'll end it like with this statement what would really blow me away with google io 2015 is if the vast majority of stuff they announced would actually end up in the hands of end users like like the yeah. like maybe like and maybe maybe this should be the benchmark like it is available to the vast majority of their end users maybe they don't even use it but it could be done to the majority of like and it's something that brings value to the majority of android users that would I would I would I would truly like because the problem yeah. is like so much cool stuff will be announced and then if you think about it, you're like well but nobody's ever going to use that for years if they can solve that problem I'll be impressed for six
1: months yeah, right right yeah and and yeah and that's kind of you know think about how developers and myself included I'm guilty of this you know you kind of want to get those WWDC videos fast because if there's an API that was announced and you can get a jump on there's a there's a first mover advantage there in releasing your app even yeah. if your app is kind of bare yeah. bones
0: yeah it's such but a it's is, such a paradigm right. change it's so different right. in in the, in the apple land where so there different. is there's this pent up like there is demand to get in WWDC because the sooner you know about that new API that new feature that new screen size that new whatever then you can go back to your wherever and start writing that app today and get it in the app store and start selling it and immediately you have an advantage you yeah. have a,
1: a, a quantifiable financial and also you know what it doesn't always have to be financial, but you have an obvious advantage. Well, Apple often
0: feature those apps. There is a genuine, legitimate, like could make your year kind of financial incentive.
1: Yep. Um, Google, it's like, okay, that looks cool. And let me write down, let me put something in Wonderlist to remind myself in six months, you know, because you need, you need critical, critical mass of users on the platform in terms of on the right version of the platform.
0: And, and the only reason why, like, see, and you can see, like, those are two totally different strategies, and both of them are absolutely legitimate. It's just where there's a mismatch is one works a lot better for developers earning a living and featuring their apps on that pl- platform and delivering them there first, and the other doesn't. And it's and until they can align those two things, it's always going to be that fundamental gap there. I think doesn't matter what I, APIs they have, but that APIs right. are a huge part part of it. But until you get mass user adoption,
1: but dev- devil's advocate for for just the second, right? There are a lot of... You know, Android has come a long way. Let's say you're doing Android 4.1 and up. Most of the big VC-backed apps could easily be done very nicely on Android first. Um, And they're just not, right? There is a little bit of mindshare there, too. There's a little bit of hearts and minds of not just developers. I I think that except for the very Apple Zealot developers, Android is a pretty... People have fun ideas about Android, right? It's... It's nice you can customize your phone. I find it pretty pleasant to develop for myself, but it's hard to justify going Android first. Not only because of the the economics, but I, maybe this is just you know people I talk to, but I do get a feeling when people are pitching, particularly startup ideas, you know the investor hat will have an iPhone on the table and want to see a demo on an iPhone, right? Hmm. There's there's not there's not a lot of you know excitement around the Android platform where there's a lot of excitement around the iOS platform in that business kind of person right not not in the developer themselves but in the say financial backer VC wh- however you want to phrase this right stakeholder might be the way to do it so hmm.
0: yeah. And I think it also depends on the app. Like, so I was reading an interview here, uh, Confide, a messaging app, which is an off-the-record conversations. He says, that one of the founders says he regrets not uh, multi-platform shipping. They focus on iOS first. He says, the interesting thing is that, in retrospect, not launching on both platforms simultaneously was a big mistake. This is his name's John. Uh, He says, since we are a messaging app, the utility and enjoyment of the app is directly tied to the number of people who use it. Messaging apps require platform ubiquity. Launching without 50% of the U.S. market and 80% of the global market was suboptimal. So, again, it matters a lot on the app, doesn't it?
1: Well, I mean, if, if you're, you know, if you're, yeah, anything messaging, you need the network effect.
0: Uh, Mr. Dominic, so that those are our thoughts. I'd like to hear the audience's thoughts. CoderRadio.reddit.com. Start a thread over there and let us know your uh, WWDC and Google I.O. predictions or wants, maybe demands. Maybe somebody at Google will listen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? I'll tell you what you should listen to, DigitalOcean. That's right. DigitalOcean is a sponsor of the Coder Radio program, and that's where you need to go. I found about, I found out about DigitalOcean because Mr. Dominic said, this is my secret sauce. You know, I, need, I, I, I got a tight operation I run here. I'm building and scaling out applications for clients, and I need a reliable, valuable back-end, DigitalOcean. It's a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up your own cloud server. And one of the things that's really cool with technologies like Docker is you could create a container on your local laptop, you're building something away, and then mm-hmm. when you're ready to put it up for the public, it's so easy to just send it up to DigitalOcean Droplet and, and you can get started in less than 55 seconds. Pricing plans are only $5 a month. You get you 512 megabytes of RAM, 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. That is so perfect for doing some dev testing. I, I, and I actually use it in production. Like, I have OwnCloud on there and BitTorrent Sync. But you could take, uh, with one click, you could have an Ubuntu system base with Docker ready to go, already installed for you in less than 55 seconds, okay? And you could take that Docker container, that image, on your local machine, Check it up to the, to the Docker Hub. Check it down onto your, uh, uh, onto your Docker, uh, Docker machine on DigitalOcean, and you're done. It's on the public. You're ready to go. Uh, it, it, uh, you, could literally, you could literally do it all in under two minutes from creating the machine
1: to sending sorry, up two your minutes. That, that That's dog slow. You could do it faster I think
0: you, I think you probably could, especially if you already have the terminal open, maybe the commands yep. in your recent history. And the best part is if you use the promo code digital. that's one word, coder digital. that'll give you a $10 credit. You could do it for free. Try that $5 rig two months for free. Uh, why not? I mean, and DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York. So if you're by Mr. Dominic, you got a local one. San Francisco, if you're by me, you can get a local one. Singapore, Amsterdam, Germany, London. But their interface yes. is really awesome. I've I've never New seen Republic. an interface this good for managing things like this. And,
1: uh, I, I actually have a trick with their interface, too. Oh, yeah? What? So, and Dio, this is, this is free, except send me a T-shirt. <laughs> so... No, this assumes you're not doing things crazily by hardcoding your your IP everywhere. Yeah, you can create a DO snapshot and send the snapshot to another DO account. Yes. So, for instance, client says, "I would love to sign a hosting contract." Six months later, you know, after let's say you do quarter increments or whatever, client says, "You know what? We we would like to take it. Our, inter- our internal IT wants it." You know, after this term, can you send it to us? No problem. Takes four seconds. And if you're like me and a noob. Because you don't know how to do it the first time, you can email them and they'll do it for you. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice,
0: yeah. Uh, client
1: deployments made easy. You
0: know, uh, Matt Hartley. He uh, he'll do like a he'll he'll do uh, essentially consultation WordPress setups where he'll go in and get somebody a you know a WordPress setup for their business where they can manage it, create them accounts, set up the plugins, get it all updated, and then he uses that transfer feature to move it over to them. And that's part of the whole arrangement. Like he goes and custom yeah. sets it all up, and it, you know, and he can run it for a while because it's like. It's five dollars, but also if you use the promo code Coder Digital, you get a ten dollar credit. You could use that time. You set it up for free, and then you just sell the whole thing off, and then somebody takes over the contract for you, or they set it up on you have them go set up their own DigitalOcean account and uh, move it over to their account, and that's what he does. And it, it's a that's way it. to – its
1: how he makes money. Yeah, it's—it's it's so easy. I mean, I think i one moved was a uh, well. I heard he sells uh, actually diamonds from Africa but and we T-shirts. Won't talk about he that. had
0: a Linux T-shirt, although I think the sale ended. But he had shirts. Oh, uh, so listen, uh, DigitalOcean is also hiring right now. So if you have yes. a Linux background or if you are a technical writer, that have positions open. They're also again taking tutorials. You could probably make some money too. Uh, go over to DigitalOcean's website and check it out. They have a really great community section, some of the best tutorials, and check out their job section. They want Jupiter Broadcasting audience members like Linux sysadmins. DigitalOcean.com. They have careers open and. They're taking tutorials. Check them out and let us know how it goes. And don't forget that promo code, Digital, so that way the CODER radio program gets some credit. DigitalOcean.com. Thanks, DigitalOcean. So, Mr. Dominic, I'd love to hear how your trip to uh, Build went. New York, 2015, Build. I guess uh, you had uh, yes. Kevin Gallo there delivering the keynote. which well, says, it, it
1: would, To quote our good friend, Senator Palpatine, it was exactly as I had foreseen it was not bad yeah by any stretch um so i didn't going in i didn't know what to expect and, and i should apologize there were a couple quote radio listeners i did run into one or two who i because my phone was not being correct it's so like, oh, hard to meet disturb. up at a
0: conference too like yeah, I, yeah
1: that i felt bad but i do apologize next time we'll have to do this in a more organized way because someone was two two people actually were looking for me and I,
0: you know what, yeah, I, well, I, now, that, so here's what, here's what you have to, you have to know the venue, and then you can set a location, right. so as we that's go the the to thing. more. I didn't things, know the venue,
1: yeah, yeah. I,
0: yeah. But, yeah, so, I did hear a couple of people say that's cool, that's cool, I'm glad it, you got to meet, it, meet up with a
1: couple of people. Yeah, it was cool, I mean, it was, it was interesting, so one, there are .NET developers in our audience, they are there, they're a little scared, but they're there. <laughs> <No>, Alright, <laughs> if you... If you've ever seen the movie Tripoli, they're like the heavy kid with the rifle running up the hill, but they're there.
0: Okay. They're frightened. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, It was kind of exactly what you would think it would be, right? Because they did the big build show already. So it was like that.
0: Like here's what we announced, but recapped.
1: but But it was a smaller set of people. And, you know, I'm not big on going to all the sessions. So I ended up kind of meandering and talking to people a lot. Visual Studio Code seemed to be on everybody's mind, hmm. or at least the people I was talking with. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot. Uh, I, first of all, I've never seen so many Surface Pros in my life. Oh, just really? just th- throw that right out there. <laughs> that's like, where they're all at, huh? That's,
0: that's where they all are. I don't are. know
1: if they gave them away. I, I, show, <laughs> I showed up on time, but maybe I missed the line. Who knows? But they're, I, I, this must be like 80% of what they sold. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, not you know. For all their talk about cross-platform, pretty much everybody I talked to was a, was an ASP.NET developer. Mm. I did not run into one Windows Phone developer. But to be fair, I wasn't walking around like, "Hey, are you a phone developer? Are you a phone developer? Are you you know?" Mm. I you know I think it's exactly. It was a very well put on conference. Like it, there was nothing to complain about. But if you went in with expectations thinking this was going to be, like, a totally first-run show, kind of not really, right?
0: You felt like you were getting leftovers?
1: No, 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 not even, like, low quality. But if you had followed the coverage of Build, you kind of heard it before.
0: Hmm.
1: Is that that fair?
0: Yeah, they didn't save anything for you guys, what you're saying. (laughs) There was
1: no, like, extra, oh, and for our New York audience only, here's, you know, Yeah, I didn't like it while
0: they were doing that. Like, it just seems like a waste of money then. Right? But, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess well, it's good to give hands they
1: it on. Here too, where they, yeah. You know, it, there's, there's value in going to conferences other than the sessions, right? Meeting the people. You know, for one, That's it for was sure. interesting. I talked to one developer who was you know, a pretty solid .NET guy, but kind of wanted to see, you know, if he were to try Linux or a Mac, what could he still do? And they were in a lot of ways it was strange, right? Cause it was a lot of .NET guys coming out of their, let's say comfort zone. I was just
0: going to say, yeah, I, I know exactly just, what it, you
1: mean. It, just like it, 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 you know, the developers themselves and I'm not saying all of them, right. But a, a number that I spoke to are a great parallel for like the company at this point. Um,
0: hmm. Yeah. I totally see yeah. what you're saying. That's an interesting spot. They're in a transition and, uh, they seem to be kind of, uh, they, you know what it is, is that the rhetoric sounds harsh, but it is. It's marketing rhetoric, the language, the messaging, the, the uh, quote-unquote focus is out ahead yeah. of where they actually are, right? It's where they want to be, yeah. not where they are. And that's respectable. That's what you need to do. You know, you've got to get everybody on board. And, and so they're, they're, they're very focused on where they want to be. But the reality is th- that legacy is truly where they are for a long time. Well,
1: and, and again, I spoke to one developer in particular. Uh, you know, his whole job is supporting legacy. So, you know, some of the new stuff they're doing is all well and good, but they're still running physical servers in the basement.
0: Mm-hmm, exactly. So, <laughs> I like Re- yeah, Do you see Rekai's question? He says, so, Mr. Dominic, would you recommend following Build Online and then using other conferences to talk to people instead of attending the rehashed sessions?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know if I would... Um, Rekai, you're trying to trap me. I, <laughs> I won't say that it wasn't worth going to, I will say that for someone who's not really in the Microsoft ecosystem in any meaningful way, uh, it was weird. That's the
0: disconnect too, huh? I suppose if you're really tuned in, it might be more worth it.
1: Right. It, it felt like if you've ever gone to like a local business networking event, it was kind of like that. There's value in that for sure, though. Right, right, but there's, you know, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm, you know, I just answered. I'm an iOS developer. or I'm a, you know, iOS and Rails. Now you should just say
0: I'm a, I'm a pretty big deal. podcast. That's what we should. That's no, how should say.
1: You know, because we've also said some not so nice yeah, things. Yeah, that's true. So if anybody did a quick Google search, or oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, a Bing search, I uh, see right there. I, I, I almost get Chris, it. Out to be honest, I woke in and I got beat up in the alley. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it it was nice. I mean, it it was was good it, it, it was just i think that we should all make those businesses fail yeah rms wouldn't have been welcome
0: i wanted to pick up we have uh we have an email that's about uh microsoft uh visual studio code and uh it, we got uh, some good responses to the editor stuff like we got a few emails and since we're kind of going long i just thought i'd read one that kind of summarized some of it but the H- h1 visa stuff we got some really good emails on those are linked in the show notes and also um the editor stuff so here's one uh so uh voidman writes and he says i read somewhere that the changes microsoft made to electron are significant like maybe you can't open big files in adam uh, the most surprising part for me is that you can actually extract the package and see the javascript code on the editor that ships that is one of the big things that no one is focusing on here microsoft is aware that their code for features like intellisense is available and they don't seem to mind i also noticed that you are a bit dismissive about typescript I've heard that it's quite good. Maybe an interview. He he links us to a podcast that had an interview on it. Uh, he says, "My main question is why would I use? Why would you use? Uh, my main question is that why would I use VS Code or Atom? Um, so, Mike, what do you think about? I like his main point here. Actually, you have not been dismissive of TypeScript at all. You've actually TypeScript is pretty neat. So I'm not sure where you got that from. But
1: uh, I, I yeah I maybe I don't recall I. I yeah, I actually yeah. think type. I've been dismissive of CoffeeScript, maybe. Yeah. I think that's probably, yeah.
0: Uh, so uh, what do you think about Microsoft? One of the big things here about Visual Studio Code is that, you know, they're kind of putting their dirty bits out there for, I don't know if you can go in and see the IntelliSense stuff or not, but they're putting a lot of their dirty bits out there for the world to see in a really big way.
1: I mean, it just says their money's where their mouth is, right? I mean, I think so.
0: I think that's, um, again, like, they're, they're, they're legitimately, their messaging and their focus and their motivations are legitimately where they want to be. Like, that's how what I feel yeah. about Microsoft. It is like, I believe them now. That in a big way, they do want to make some changes. They do want to go to become a cloud Azure company. Uh, but I think the, their dirty secret is XP, Visual Studio, uh, you know, all, all that. Well, their dirty like, secret,
1: ju- just, and just and backpedaling for like a second, Amazon. right? The vast majority of the devs I met at the conference have no, I mean, they might think Azure's cool, but right. they're still supporting f- yeah. Fortune 500 companies who Hey, you're not that's, getting any you That's what I'm trying to say. Five
0: years. That, yeah. it, that's where they're. That's their. That's going. That will continue to be their world. That's not going away.
1: Yeah. Um, but but just on the. So I've been uh, hot switching between VS Code and Atom. Yeah. Uh, for ever since we talked about it. Yeah. I like both. Um, I haven't had anything gigantic to open yet. Mm.
0: Um.
1: So I don't know. I mean, when I first use Atom months back it did have some performance problems. Now it doesn't. Uh, The reason I ended up downloading Atom, other than people emailing and and, uh, redditing saying I should Visual Studio Code does not have any real good Rails support that I'm aware of or was able to find and I've been writing a hell of a lot of Rails so that was a problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would do Um, it wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, I'm borderline uh, like horrible with typing so I need that syntax highlighting to tell me if I type something that makes sense. As someone
0: think, has witnessed your markdown, I agree. Sometimes yes, there's yes. A-
1: <laughs> You should see my emails. They're, they're like Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's man. not good. It's, it's really a problem. Um,
0: so it does help you with that, doesn't it?
1: <laughs> well, especially, it's, you know, in particular in a dynamic language like Ruby, where I don't have the compiler playing jackass now, it's, um, it, it, you know, proper syntax highlighting completion are not... An option for me. It's I find necessary. it to be.
0: I. I. I am a little. Uh, here's. Here's. This is the level I'm at. I, like I'll be in G edit and I'll be like writing away right. like something in the show notes and I'll be like, oh, I should save and so I'll save and I'll add .md as the extension as soon as I hit enter, all of the highlighting pops in and I'm like, oh, that's so much better. Okay, good. Yeah. And it's like yeah, I, I didn't have, have to out. have it, but like once I have it, I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, right, God, I'm so glad I have that.
1: <laughs> so I like both. Yeah. Right? So that's what people have been asking. Um. I think VS Code might end up being better and I cringe to say that
0: yeah, but they not experience yet. they got a lot of experience lot of, in there, yeah. And they well,
1: not only that, like they did rip out a huge part of Atom or rather rather electron. electron yeah. Right. And their IntelliSense is better than even the plugins I can get for Atom. The problem is they're very f- focused in what they're doing, right? They're doing ASP, they're doing Ruby, they're doing yeah. JavaScript, they're doing Node, yeah. they're doing all that kind of stuff. So it's not a if, day-to-day solution. If for the me.
0: editor gets popular, maybe there'll be a community-based solution for that.
1: Well, and Azure supports Rails, right? Azure supports... Actually, Azure supports a whole, whole yeah. ton of crap that's weird. So I'm sure... You know, it, it's version 0.2 at the moment or something dumb like that. So give them six months, and I think, you know, I can see a fall or even a maybe winter where Visual Studio Code ends up being my default editor. Because I do want to move over to Linux, um, and I need something that's available on multiple platforms. Just because of, you know, legacy, I'm going to be tied to OS 10 part of the time. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yes, Mr. Dominic, will we all wait around with bated breath? Yes, 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 it's happening, it's happening. It's ha- in the meantime, right now it, yes. if I was going to follow you on your day-to-day activities, is there a place just- of interest you'd, you'd point me?
1: Yes, go to the newly redesigned BuccaneerTech.com
0: Nice, nice. BuccaneerTech.com yes. I'm going to say this go to Twitter.com slash ChrisLES there's going to be some changes coming there soon brace yourself it's all legit But you got to be in on it. Also, join us live. Hey, I guess we're doing, are we doing a show on Monday? I guess so, right? Yeah, why not? Okay, it's Memorial Day, but we'll be here. We'll be here. We do the show noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Show up and give us something to talk about. Also, go to the subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. Give us some topics. Jeez, we're going to do another show in just a couple of days. We need you. See you right back here next week.